The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. There were other um, political uh, parties and formations who were also um, imprisoned and found themselves on Robben Island at that time. And this morning, we take a look at Robben Island through the eyes of the Azanian People's Organization, Azapo. And uh, joining us in studio this morning, Dr. Seth Cooper and uh, also Pandelani Nefolovodwe. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming in this morning. Pleasure. Thank you. So, Robin Island, you know, it just the, na- the, 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 the name itself, Dr. Cooper, what sort of images does it drum up for you? Uh, many of them are fairly distant now, but at the time, Robin Island was this feared place uh, where people were sent away, banished, and you never heard from them again. And this is true even of the very famous prisoners because their contact with their loved ones uh, wasn't as uh, it is made out to be now. There there were many obstacles put in the way of people uh, visiting and so on. And it was a place that evoked fear because if it could happen to a Mandela, who are you? So you need to recall that we came in at the time where the ANC and PAC were banned after the events of Sharpeville, and there was no political activity in the country, and we mobilized ourselves as young people, as students, um, and eventually created a political movement and the consciousness which gave rise to 1976 and arguably the events thereafter. However, the historic fact is the first prisoners who went in modern day times to Robben Island were those who were called Porcos, uh, PAC people, and uh, famous amongst them was Sobukwe. Sobukwe was a prisoner even though he was held by the police. In, it, was an, it was a legal nicety, held by the police and kept separate from the other convicted prisoners. And Robben Island Maximum Prison came into being in 62. The first inmates came there in 63 and so on. Um, At the time that we went in there, at the end of 1976, the majority were PAC prisoners. And then the majority became black consciousness post-76 prisoners. And thereafter, in the 80s, it became ANC majority. So that's the fact of Robben Island. Uh, But like uh, we were discussing before the show started, history is of victors and victors tend to uh, write the history. So those in the ANC who would like to present only the ANC side, understandably, will do so. It's like in the Western Cape, uh, Zilla and company would like to present themselves as the harbingers of all that the citizens of the Western Cape enjoy. So they've arrogated unto themselves uh, the icons of Mandela and various other people because they'd like to... uh, the rest of the world to believe that they are the repositories of this freedom. So you see, uh, the, the truth gets murdered somewhere in between.
So when, um, you know, after the 1976 uprisings in uh, particular, you know, um, you have now a younger crop of people, especially streaming into Robben Island. But when you get there, you know, um, what did you expect first, you know, uh, going to Robben Island and what happened when you arrived? Now, when we arrived there, we found that uh, the, this thing is not... When we arrived there, we, we found that the uh, people who were there before us um, were firstly expecting to hear more about the struggles that uh, uh, was outside the prison. That's the first expectation that uh, we found. But we also found the kind of behavior that we were not happy with. That is Such as? the behavior of accepting the status quo, accepting that in prison you have to koto, you have to go along with the regulation and rules of prison. And we came as a different crop of people who felt that this, the society we lived in, must be attacked at all costs. It doesn't matter whether you are outside or you are inside jail. And so we started raising our clenched uh, fist inside prison. And uh, uh, those that we found there um, in the leadership of uh, political parties, they then wrote to us to say, no, man, you shouldn't uh, do the things that you are doing uh, because uh, prison is not like you are outside. And uh, we said, no. We are going to insist that our clenched fist must be accepted. It is our way of greeting. And it was accepted finally uh, because we insisted right through with punishments, with all sorts of things. And finally, we were able to win. And uh, those who were not really uh, so much used to the kind of life that we brought in uh, would raise the clenched fist in a way which is not the same way as we raised. We raised it sky high, and others would uh, show it uh, on their chests, right? almost <laughs> uh, as if they are afraid to continue uh, to do what we... So that's, that's really the expectation. Um, mm-hmm. but we had expected, in our, in our view, we thought we are going to revolutionaries who would uh, accept that revolution is continuing outside. But we didn't find that kind of... Uh, adi- you, you know, the, <laughs> I, I mean, ironically, uh, uh, Nefel of Ordo and I were chained together uh, on that long, uh, racy journey from Pretoria Prison down to the Robben Island docks. And when our group got in, we had this heated debate because we saw somebody who had a white shirt and it was dark pants. It was either navy or black. And the argument ensued amongst us that uh, because this guy was carrying a tray, there was tea on it or coffee and so on. And we said, no, that must be uh, somebody who's working here because it can't be a fellow political prisoner. A fellow political prisoner would not be a so-called mm. tea boy, mm. you know. And uh, so this argument, in, we said, you know what, this place has two, two kinds of in- people, a warder and a prisoner. And it's unlikely that this person is not a prisoner. So we argued, and eventually, lo and behold, the same guy who was, who was taking the tea around, 
is instructed to instruct us on how we should fold our blankets. And I think we had four blankets, uh, and some of them were quite stiff from sweat and uh, needing to be washed and so on. But there was a way to fold the blankets that was required for an inspection. And this guy went through it, and we were sort of amazed that, really, do we have to do this? And they, it, you know, it was folded into uh, four blankets, and then the fourth one was used over the other to tie the others. And it looked like a little bundle, but a little TV, if you like. And we said, do we have to do this? And, of course, lo and behold, none of us did it. And the guy had to, another guy had to come into the cells to instruct us again on how to behave. So those kinds of things uh, conjured in us huge conflict because we imagined this was another site of struggle and indeed the site of struggle where there would be no compromise. Being very young, being naive in many respects and idealistic, we expected that the struggle continues. Like Neff said, Aluta Continua. And to find that when you greeted somebody, I mean, I, I recall, and I'm sure Neff and many other younger prisoners would recall, that when you walked in the passages, you were escorted by one or two warders and you were alone and you saw another prisoner and you greeted Amandla. And it, the Amandla echoed in the corridor. The guy would look at you, turn around, and as if, now, who are you greeting? And there's only the two of us versus the warders. On one instance, the guy looked around, turned around, and faced the wall instead of greeting a prisoner. So, in a sense, the influx of post-76 prisoners created the ethos that Mandela re refers to in his book. The editors and so on, the Macmarages of this world, edited out a lot of the stuff. But it's very clear that these young lions were there to change how the prisoners uh, related to the prison. And indeed, things began to change, sometimes for the worse. I, m I must mention something here. I mean, in prison, Neff was a guy who was rifle-butted in the quarry. And when we were separated thereafter, in the s they were locked up in the single cells. They were tear-gassed in the single cells with nowhere to go. Why? So, yeah. What happened? Because of our behavior. Because they didn't what accept, did you do? They didn't accept that we, <laughs> we do the things that... Because we refused to do certain things with the warders. For instance, uh, uh, the president of COPE, Likota, one time he was doing exercise outside and um, we were locked, all of us locked in. And uh, because we used to discuss how to uh, deal with the warders who we felt were, were out of order. And the next time Lukota was uh, beating up this water, but fortunately the water was alone, right? And when the case was followed, no evidence, we couldn't give any evidence. But we saw him beating up the water while he was doing, he was doing exercise. These are the kinds of behavior that we brought into that prison. For, for that matter, we are the ones who stopped the question of having to go to the quarry. The, this story, whenever people visit the quarry, the story of the quarry is told and is told. Nev people are never told that ultimately when we came there, we of the Black Consciousness Movement, the Sasso 9 particularly, uh, together with uh, the young boys from the University of Western Cape, 
um, or Paul Plagis and company, we stopped the question of going to the quarry because we said we are political prisoners. We, we didn't come here to work for anybody. Uh, we are doing our, our, our prison terms because we believe in the things that we, are, we, 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 we were doing. So finally, because of that struggle, um, uh, working in the quarry was stopped. So the rest of the people who came thereafter never went to the quarry. And, and we were regarded as an infection. It was a virus. So once we arrived there, the prison began to get segregated. They separated uh, the different sections. They built fences Walls. between the sections. Yeah. And when the fences didn't work, they built physical walls between different parts of the prison because they regarded us as a dangerous influence on the calm and serenity of prison. I mean, when we got there, you know, we'd, we'd come from other prisons where it was usual to hear prisoners singing, and usually these were hymns, gospels, and so on. We got to Robben Island, and it was quiet. After 4.30, everything was silent. And we said, where's the singing? How come we don't sing? So even on commemorative occasions, like uh, the f- in, in 1977, uh, that was our first March 21st, and we said, you know, we outside commemorated Sharpeville. In 1970, we commemorated Sharpeville. Why are we not commemorating Sharpeville? And we realized that actually there was contestation about the issue. So because it was putatively led by, well, not putatively, actually led by the PAC, the ANC wouldn't uh, regard the day as important. Uh, so we began to commemorate the days, and then eventually... The entire prison began to recognize certain days. The ANC would recognize theirs. The PAC would recognize theirs and so on. But the prison, uh, and there are lots of stories written about the place. Often when we tend to remember, we usually tend to remember the better. I would not like to present myself in a negative light uh, because of yesteryear. I'd like to present myself in a better light. However, Robben Island is very important in that it became a symbol for resistance in the country. And therefore, the truisms of what actually happened, that the vulnerabilities, the time when you sat there and thought, my Lord, why hast thou forsaken me uh, in that moment of complete isolation? Those are realities. Those are the depressions. Those are the sadnesses that we cannot begin to comprehend if you don't have somebody telling you about it. Mm-hmm. And those moments uh, of sadness, of utter utter abandonment and isolation get to you. And we've had prisoners who lost their minds. We've had prisoners who adopted a particular attitude uh, to the prison mm. and found themselves at loggerheads. I mean, when we got there, there was Zwane, for instance, came from the East Rand. Zwane would end up in the isolation block almost every other month. And um, Everyone just regarded Zwane as crazy because they said, you know, this guy constantly ends up in the isolation. But that was his coping mechanism. And he would be locked up and we were already in the isolation section. So he would come in and get out. He would have spare diet. I mean, the spare diet meant you only had water 
and a gruel made of uh, maize meal and water uncooked once a day. It was called spare diet. So it was that kind of thing that prisoners were subjected to. And of course, Zwane lost his mind in that uh, period. But in his lucid moments when we speak to him, and he would say, you know, I, I remember this one phrase, and he would use any opportunity to use the structure, use the means available to retain a semblance of integrity for himself. Mm. In the result, he did go loco. But, it, you know, each of us has our own coping mechanisms. So uh, to present it as if it was a hotel... As if it was all play, you know, we had these nice soccer tournaments and so on. He's actually uh, doing a disservice to the harshness of prison conditions, to the fact that until we got there, prisoners uh, in the initial years, people used to call the warders bus. And and then I want to ask about that because mm. when when you arrived at Robin Island, um, and just listening to what you are saying, I'm sure you caused quite a bit of tension with you know uh, the prisoners who were already there. Absolutely, with, with absolutely with no reservation. Absolutely, we caused a lot of tension when we were now isolated and when we were removed from E section, where all these 1976 were arriving. They'd realize that no, this leadership of the Black Consciousness Movement, if we allow them to stay with the youngsters who come from June 16, there will be more and more problem. So they decided to build a new section altogether. And but when they removed us, they took sets, they took uh, uh, KK, and they took Zit to the Mandela section. And then we, the others, we went to the new section called Section A, right? But whilst we were there, what we did was that we had refused to be classified. When you get into jail, you are given uh, classification D, D, which means the lowest classification you can ever. You have your privileges are the lowest. So we decided as a policy of our, our, our movement that no one is going to be classified any further. We are staying D. It's a struggle. And whoever wants to separate us to make, uh, say, Nevolovode an A uh, against the other prisoners who are part of his movement, to hell with that. That created a lot of tension. So because already, already, right? People mm. were already at A. People were already at B. People, so they felt that we are now denying them progressing. Whilst we are saying, no, that's our policy. You shouldn't worry. But when we got mixed, with the Mandela's, particularly since because he went there before the mixing of, of us and them. Now, when they offered sets and company, now what is called niceties, these things you buy as a result of your classification. So sets and company says, no, my organization does not allow uh, this classification, our policy, and uh, we are not disrespecting you, right? But we are not going to partake. It caused a lot of, of tension and a lot of discussion and sword to say, but uh, just accept what we are giving you, irrespective of the fact that you are, you are not uh, classified as such. I'm just showing you one of the biggest. The other tension was with regard to hunger strikes. 
I mean, when we arrived there, we, we then decided that uh, part of our struggle continues and then we went into hunger strikes and uh, the hunger strikes, of course, affected the older generation in terms of, as you know, uh, their bodies and when and it also caused tension as to the debate that the hunger strike should not affect them we should have uh, uh, some kind of uh, leeway where we could allow them not to uh, to be on hunger strike whilst we were insisting that um, we must all somehow get in but then because of the different political persuasion the PAC fellows uh, despite the fact that they were old Right? They agreed that, no, we are uh, pushing together with this uh, hunger strike. So that way you find that different political parties have got a, a different way of looking at uh, the struggles in prison. And that caused a lot of tension. And uh, if you uh, just uh, tuned in, we're speaking this morning to Dr. Sats Cooper and uh, Pandelani Nefolo Vodwe, and uh, they are looking at Robben Island through the eyes of uh, BCM and Azapo this morning. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. Welcome back to the Forum at Eight. And this morning, uh, looking at uh, Robben Island uh, through the eyes of, um, you know, the younger generation that went into Robben Island after all the uprisings in 76. This was, of course, after the ANC, the PAC had been banned. And, you know, there was a new wave that was sweeping through the townships across uh, South Africa. And then you had uh, the BCM and, and a number of other groupings that also, you know, came up and they found themselves uh, being sent to Robben Island as well, where they found uh, people from, uh, you know, other formations who were already on the island. And as they had been relating, they came there and they caused some serious tension, um, you know, through the things that they were doing, their behavior and uh, nonconformity and all those sorts of things. So um, the lines are open. You can call in 891 in conversation this morning uh, with uh, Pandelani Nefolo Vodwe and uh, Dr. Seth Cooper. But I must also just ask you, you know, to name some of your other comrades at the time, um, uh, just for the benefit of those who do not know. Well, look, uh, I think amongst the first black consciousness people to have arrived on Robben Island uh, was uh, Musibudi Mangena. There was, uh, uh, yes, uh, there was Ngutseu Motsau. There was Eric Molobi. Uh, Then there were people from the Eastern Cape. And then the big group that came in was the Sasso BPC Mm. 9. Uh, it was Nefelo Vodwe, myself, Muntu Mieza, Strini Mudli, Aubrey Mokwape, uh, Tere Lekota, Kabaroni Sedibe, Zitulele Trindi, and Nkwenkwe Nkomo. And when we arrived there, there were also, at the same time, uh, young people from other places, particularly universities like the University of the Western Cape, who had also been involved in the post-76 activities and they found themselves uh, in Robben Island. So when we got there, we were isolated in the isolation uh, section and in the new year, that was in December, In at some point at the end of January when uh, a, a, a block had been segregated for us, we were sent into that block. In that block, we were taken out to the quarry and other things. Uh, but I, I think you should also note 
that amongst the black consciousness people that are well known right now, Steve Biko was the founder. Bani Pichana was uh, the first uh, chair of the Human Rights Commission. Mm. Um, famous politicians uh, look at uh, Cyril Ramaphosa. Mm. That entire generation came from black consciousness and eventually went into the ANC. And they acknowledge it openly. However, when the history gets written, history gets written by revisionists who would like to just believe that all of a sudden people just became ANC. Wagura Maklodi is one of them. <laughs> there, are, there are many, you know, uh, many ministers like that. In fact, in, in Mandela's first cabinet, the majority were from the black consciousness Matthew era. Matthew Posa. I, you can, know? I can mention that Matthew Posa. It's yeah. one of them. It's the black consciousness, all the fellows who are younger, right? Started from black persons. Makosa Zana Zuma. Yes. Right? She, st- she used to come and see me in prison. As, a, as part of the cadreship of the black consciousness movement. As a visitor to si- coming to see another comrade who is there. Uh, the young lady called Rutledge. Mandala. Mm. Mm. I no, was arrested at her office in Durban. She was working for the black... Uh, uh, I know for for, Bari, Dep- for, for dependence for, conference. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well. So so you know so there is a rich history, and indeed, what in a sense let's let's look at modern day uh, activities. In a sense, some of the things that are outpourings right now with young people rebelling against the strictures that they find themselves confined to in a democratic era the EFF kind of thing, the roads must fall, led by young people. Now, we created a movement when we were in our late teens and early 20s. And many of the older people said, are you crazy? Look at what happened with so-and-so. Look at what happened with so-and-so. They ended up in Robben Island. They were banished. They went into exile. And we said, but we cannot in good conscience sit here and do nothing about it. So we engaged amongst ourselves. We conscientized each other. We created a a solidarity. And from the late 60s into the 80s, there wasn't the feeling, I am Koza, you are colored, you are a vendor, and so on. We created a black solidarity against the phalanx of white racism. So right now, I think most of us look at it and say, mm. am I 100% Zulu? Mm. Am I Tswana? Mm. What am I? And indeed, Bantustanization has worked because it's captured our minds. Mm. We do not look at ourselves as South Africans. We look at ourselves as Christian or uh, Muslim or Zulu or Indian, uh, colored, vendor first before we look at ourselves as a national as a citizen so we at war with ourselves we haven't forged the nation that we require to be forged in our society i want to go to the courts but before i do please 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 to our listeners just hold them on the lines there i, I want to ask about the speaking of bantu stands the 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 the, 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 the question yes and 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 this is a very interesting story uh, where matanzima um, was it Matanzima who wanted yeah. his uh, the Kosa prisoners yes. um, to be released to him? 
Okay, look. No, I'm look. going to leave it to Seth to, because <laughs> Seth had to be a representative of our movement to talk to the ANC leadership in prison, right? In order to tell them that they should not accept that uh, which Matanzima was doing. And Seth can tell you the kinds of debate there and the divisions that were there, um, uh, notably. Um, Tabombeki's father was very hostile to the idea that they should be released to the Transkai. But notably because when we joined Bosets later in uh, our being mixed with the section, um, I, I had a, a talk with him <laughs> and he was able to reveal to me that uh, right through that debate, he wasn't uh, willing uh, to sacrifice the struggle over going to be released in that. But Seth is the one who can tell you more because he was our representative. I'm loath to do this. I'm giving you two minutes because I want to Look, go to court. There, there was talk about uh, Matanzima coming to uh, visit certain prisoners on Robben Island. When we heard about that, we wrote a letter to the leadership uh, of the ANC saying that we respect them, but we believe that they should not do this. The, the release was scheduled for the following year to coincide with the fifth anniversary of so-called Transkai independence. Unfortunately for everyone, uh, we got, a few of us got released into that section in October 1977. And the very next day, I asked Mandela, I asked Sisulu, uh, did you receive our letter? They said no. So we said, well, let's hold a meeting. And we held that meeting and we told them that you cannot have a meeting with Matanzima. To have a meeting with somebody like that, and we respect that he is your cousin. We said that to Mandela. But he is an oppressor. He's part of the oppressive system. And if it's seen that you are meeting with such a representative of apartheid and the Bantustans, it will destroy this uh, symbol of, oppres of oppression and struggle, which is Robben Island. So that's what actually happened. And uh, the meeting was called off at the very last minute, indeed, the night before the actual meeting. Well, um, and of course, uh, looking at Robben Island through the um, eyes of uh, BCM, now Azapo members, and uh, we're taking your calls on 0891-104-208. Let's go to Temba Ematateni. Um, Good morning. Thank you. I'm a writer and a historian and a journalist by profession. Phil Graham once said, who was the publisher of Washington Post, uh, journalism is a rough draft of history. Concerning the unbalanced and deliberate distortion of the history of our country, I've taken upon myself to write a book on Rowan Island. Presently, I've interviewed 18 people. I would like your callers, I mean, even could be your callers or your participants there, to be in contact with me. I'll leave my number with your with your producer. Thanks, Emilia. Thank you so much. Uh, Timba, let's go to Tumisa in Johannesburg. Yeah, good morning, uh, FJ, and good morning to those two comrades. Good morning. Um, I am very glad that this day has come because it has taken almost 20 years for representatives of other movements to come on air and talk about how they were imprisoned in Golden Island. But I also wanted to say, we should also remember the females who were never sent to Robben Island, but who suffered 
some of the worst mm. injustices. One of them is Bongi Mkabele, and I'm sure she won't mind me mentioning her name. She was the only female who was charged with the so-called Soweto 11. And when she was sentenced, nobody seems to remember where she went to and how she suffered. Further, there are those people talking about bandstands, as you have been talking, who were kept in the bandstands. When conditions were even worse, some of those people learned about <laughs> the exploits of the um, black consciousness movement and in fact got inspired by the way in which they conducted themselves. All these stories about terror, beating up white waters, and all of that filtered through and got to those people who were in the Pakistan prisons. And we're both hurt by that. So I would hope that you should continue this tradition, SK, and get those people who have been marginalized. The females who mm. were sure. sentenced for political offenses and those other political offenders who were in Robben Island. I mean, who were not in Robben Island, who actually suffered the worst injustices. At a time when in Robben Island people were, had access to newspapers, to this, that, and the next thing, in the Bandustan prisons, people were still only getting, when they had the privilege of reading, they still had only their books to which they studied in order to be able to, mm. and to, then- to read anything. Absolutely. I've noted that. And, and, you know, this is I think that is what this is about, you know, to to, to try and tell um, as many of our stories Mm -hmm. as we can, Mm -hmm. because I think we we have, you know, dropped the ball in this regard. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, uh, we have been speaking to a lot of comrades uh, from across the uh, political spectrum. And the sad truth is that many of them are dying. And uh, even we are in our 60s now. And so, you know, we can't be burying all our comrades. So we've started a program which is going to unfurl later this year where we're just going to record all the stories for posterity and make them publicly accessible so Mm. that those who are surviving can have their remembrances, what impel them to struggle. And I think for young people now who are at a crossroads, cannot make up their mind, there are the, the lure of the EFF, there's uh, the uh, allure of becoming a DA person, and so on. Uh, the location, historicity is important, mm. and maybe they can, they can learn from what impelled young people, what impelled people in their teens. The youngest prisoners to get into Robben Island were 14. 14. Can you imagine coming into prison at mm. 14 and uh, being subjected to the, to the uh, hardships of living in that kind of situation? So those kinds of things are important. There's also the issue that whilst there were some prisoners allowed to study, our group, because we were all university students, we were denied student yeah. privileges. We were denied. I mean, even yeah. uh, Mandela was allowed to study. Our group was precluded from studying. So, uh, and that was intended to be an oppressive measure because they felt that because we were students, we would want our books, and we did. But 
Lo and behold, for four years we were denied the study privileges. And by the time the study privileges came to us, it was on uh, two years before our release. Mm. So it's, it's those kinds of things where there was uh, you know, s- serious discrimination. So whilst other prisoners may present certain pictures of how we disrupted their lives on Robben Island, made it more difficult for them to, to collude and to be complacent in prison, I think that... If we look back on it, without the advent of that 76th generation into Robben Island, we would not be where we are right now in this country. I'm going to give you an opportunity uh, shortly. And I think I, I was thinking throughout uh, the time you were speaking, it was uh, Dumisa and Sebeza mm. who was calling there. Uh, Tabang in Johannesburg, good morning. Yes, thanks. thanks. Um, I just wanted to say to, to your two guests that they, would they agree that um, perhaps in, in realizing that the issue of tribalism continues to be rampant, so black consciousness and, and African national Africanism as espoused by the PAC would have been really a, a remedy, uh, if you like, to deal with that. If our people were taught that we are black, so we are Africans, and building that spirit of nationalism would have been key. My second point is that um, would they agree that even though the victors are, you know, would want to write their history, but it becomes a political mischief if they begin to distort that history. Okay, thank you so much, Tabang. I'm going to take a few calls. Of, uh, Funani in East London, good morning. Morning. It never happened that I forget my question. <laughs> I have two questions. <laughs> you know, it, it, it seldom happens in this country that you have the caliber of people that you have there. This is, as, as Comrade Cooper is saying, they are a last generation of giants that worked with other giants, the Bikos, the Miezas, the Tiros. You know, I'm glad that Comrade Cooper is saying the history somehow is going to be recorded. With Comrade Neff, sometimes last year or so, we discussed the thing of preserving the history of the Black Consciousness Movement. I'm, I'm glad, Comrade Cooper, Comrade Neff, that is going to be done. My question that I'm thinking now, what is it that the generation of today, my generation, that we're not doing right, that your generation did right, that profited the black consciousness, that made the black people proud? Because black people are no longer proud. What is it that my current generation is not doing? Okay, thanks, Funani. Spusiso, uh, good morning. Spusiso, am I that, Denny? Not there. Let's go to Dennis Bloom and Kronstadt. Good morning, Dennis. Hello, Dennis. Hello. Hi. Yes, I won't, I won't take long. I, I just want to blame both Professor Cooper and, 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 and the other guests there. Blame them for one thing. They know very well that every time there was radicalization of the struggle and revolution in South Africa, it was the youth that was leading. True. And it was taught by those that were in front of them. The very black consciousness movement and that was started by Steve Biko and all the other leaders, has ceased to be spoken to, and the African nationalism, therefore, is dying a natural death. We seem to be saying it is fine. I blame them for that because they renegated on good teachings. That is why today we've got EFF that is run by people who do not know what discipline is, if you look at it very well. They would want to be disciplined in terms of what they want to describe as the terms of reference. So I want to say to them, one, I blame them. Secondly, why is it that they do not go back to these teachings 
and make sure that whoever then joins whatever organization later understands the history but also the trajectory of our country. Then we will have a country that has can realize all that we want to realize as a country, particularly the economic freedom that we are now looking at and we want to approach in very different ways that are going to divide us and make us kill each other. Thank you. Thank you so much for the call. And oh, I suspect that uh, we are going to run into problems mm. here because we have quite a number of calls coming in. And um, I want you to at least respond, even if it's just briefly, uh, you know, to the questions that are coming through from our listeners. Um, this one here from Solo in Cape Town says, I like this. This is raw as it should be. Great show. And thanks for the memories. And um, uh, Joe in Peter Maritzburg says, H hunger strikes. That was quite an experience. We used to call them Bobby Sands mm, in our yeah, section absolutely, A. Absolutely, exactly. Yes. Mm. Exactly, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> in fact, it, you know, there, there were similarities with Bobby Sands because we were in an H block. There were four cells, huge cells opposite each other, the same H block that Bobby Sands was in in Ulster. And when he went on a hunger strike, Soon thereafter, we were on a similar hunger strike, and it was the intercession of the Red Cross, the International Committee of the Red Cross from Switzerland, that actually eventually stopped that hunger strike, because I think we were in our second week then, and we were going all out. So, yes, uh, you know, our struggles are connected in so many ways with various people. But I think uh, some of your callers, the accusations are correct. Correct, yes. Very correct. There's no defense for them. And I think it's upon us now to show that we are open to sharing these memories with others. Like Mm. I said, we're embarking on this project to capture all these stories. Uh, of everyone. It's not a BC thing. Uh, it's not an ANC thing or a PAC. It's just of people who have sacrificed to bring us where we are in our democracy. I must say, I, I think we are not going to succeed in actually getting into the ideological discussions. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll make time again for that. Tokyo Sekwale is calling in and um, seem yeah. to have lost him there on the line. Uh, Tokyo Sekwale wanted to talk about uh, the Mandela story yeah. and, and, and yeah. he wanted to correct something on that. So We'll see if we can uh, get him back. But, um, yeah, just uh, more of the messages coming through. Uh, People saying thank you for uh, a great show, you know, uh, listening to uh, very informative guys and uh, the other side of the story that people may not have heard up until this point. Um, This one says uh, the talk with the BC guys is is educative and informative. History needs to be told from all sides. And I think that is what we endeavor to do. Um, Then also... uh, um, there was a story here. Someone wanted to know about uh, Terra Lekota and the fact that apparently he was knocked out with a spade. What happened? That's, that's true. Uh, Terra Lekota became uh, an ANC member and uh, that caused uh, problems with some of the uh, comrades that uh, remained as black consciousness uh, in that formation. And so uh, there was an altercation and somebody hit him with a a spade in that very new section that Neff spoke about earlier, that A section. And uh, it resulted in uh, a lot of tension, but our intercession precluded any 
further steps being taken because usually when there's an assault, it becomes a tribunal issue uh, and so on. And that was prevented through the intersection of uh, Sisulu and myself and so on to say, let's uh, look at this as a very bad example of how not to behave in prison. All right, and um, a few others. Uh, Pora Manoto says, um, SK, I see now why uh, BCM and ANC are not friends. Uh, different historical narratives, listening attentively, and uh, thank you for bringing them through. And I uh, see even uh, David Bullard has commented this morning, saying, uh, such a pity most of our politicians don't seem to be too conscious or have a conscience uh, for that matter. And others enjoying the show, many of those, of course. And as I say, I'm I'm not going to venture into the ideological issues. No, no, um, it's, we won't no, do justice to sure, it at this point. Sure. That is a story for another day. Sure. Um, someone else was asking about September and if you guys have anything planned, um, you know, for the month of September. Yeah, the, there, there are various um, uh, activities that are planned. Yes. Um, the announcements will be made by those who are leaders now in the Black Consciousness Movement. Myself and Seth are now what you can be called the oldies of the movement now. Uh, so people will have to wait until uh, those who are in the leadership now will definitely announce as to where the activities are, are, are going to be. But there was another very important matter which was raised here by the people who um, called in um, that um, the black consciousness movement and um, pan-Africanism um, seems to have been relegated and that is causing um, a void in terms of identity. I'm and not going to go there. We're going to come back to those questions. But that is really true. I wanted to say it is true and, and maybe uh, we should look at it at another stage. Absolutely. And of course, uh, that uh, ends today's session we, uh, where we were looking at Robben Island through the eyes of uh, BCM now, Azapo. And we will bring the PAC as well. We'll bring the ANC. We'll bring them all together. And, and, and you know, we want to hear the story from different sides. Uh, so that's what we'll be doing. And also, we'll be following up on other stories of South African heroes and heroines that have not been told. Thank you so much for listening this morning. And have yourself a fantastic weekend. Dr. Seth Scooper, Pandelani Nefolo Vodwe, thanks for coming in. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. Turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them.